As a child, I was certain that the other kids in my neighborhood had no thoughts. Of course, they could speak, walk around, ride bikes, play two-hand touch football on the street. But when they were alone, I assumed they did not or could not think about anything. I knew that my brain was constantly reeling through ideas, emotions, recreating experiences, piecing together dreams, and puzzling over the whys, hows, and whats of everyday life. But it simply didn't make sense to me that anyone else could or would bother. Naturally, I grew out of that childhood metaphysical solipsism, but the emotional distance from others remained. Often when someone is not right in front of me, it's as if they truly disappear until the moment I see them again. And in those mercifully rare situations when I learn that someone I haven't seen in a while has died, the weight of my casualness with their presence is heavy. Did they know I cared? Did I, in fact, care? Am I a monster? Is anyone else thinking? Are we here? This is Stupid Human Suits. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stupid Human Suits. Welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, I am Sean Crespo. This is my wife. Carol Hartzell. Carol Hartzell. Let me say her name for her. She's my wife. And our guest today is the wonderful, say your name. Sam Grittner. Sam Grittner. Yay! Yay! Uh, You can follow Sam Grittner at Sam Grittner. Very apt. Uh, Sam is a writer and comedian. You can see his uh, his stand-up show, We're All Gonna Die Tonight, which Woo! <laughs> it's too perfect. <laughs> uh, the first Saturday of every month at the Experimental Theater in Brooklyn. Sam is also working on a book right now, which we will get to because it ties into everything. Um, Sam, Carol and I, uh, we, we've told you a little bit about what the show is about, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's called Stupid Human Suits. It's about mm-hmm. the experience of being trapped in these human suits. It's, <laughs> Not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we're talking about the, the different shades of green. That's all. Yeah. No, it's it's dark. Um, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the ways we like to start the show out mm-hmm. is just to, you know, kind of a little game to get to know our guests. A little, little fun to do is um, we talk about my first time. The first time you understood oh boy. what death is. So this is my first time. Right. Um, So uh, the question uh, we pose to you is, do you recall as a child when you first learned what death was, had a sense of it, learned that it happened to people? Like, is that a memory for you? I don't, like, as a child, not particularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I uh, obviously saw movies Mm -hmm. and television Mm -hmm. where people would get murdered, (laughs) killed. That happens in movies and TV shows. In a fictional manner. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Maybe that'll help. Like, uh, I uh, born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. And what what's the, what was the family situation like? Like homey, close, cozy, chaotic. What the family sitch was? Uh, I was. Uh, it was it was a very nice household. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom used to be. Uh, uh, she's gonna listen to this, so, and, <laughs> yeah. and whatever. I love you, mom, Teresa. Hey, Teresa. Hey, yeah, she's <laughs> Facebook friends with we everyone who's we going all know to each other. To this. <laughs> We've met at Liz's show. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, she was very controlling mm-hmm. uh, growing up, and uh, has since uh, loosened the shackles <laughs> to uh, with the times with Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of moms. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, aside from that, it was a. I had a very what what should have been a pretty happy childhood, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got hit with depression around age thirteen. Thirteen, really? Yeah. When you say I got hit with depression, is is did it feel like that? Like, is it your life sort of changed, or you just it sort of subtly creeped in? I think from like eleven to twelve is when it subtly crept in, mm-hmm. and by thirteen. That's when I experienced uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, which is how that works. Yeah. yeah. That is <laughs> for that any is of those out there who don't know. Now you do. We're starting another podcast called How Families Work. How Families <laughs> Just follow that. It's great. My mom's going to be on there. She's the woman whose vagina I came out of there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. She's my first guest. <laughs> um, <laughs> my uncle Patrick ended up passing uh, of AIDS in 1993. Oh. And uh, was extremely close to him. He was uh, just a shining human beacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the depression didn't, it wasn't because of that. Uh, but I remember being in summer school 
uh, not because I was dumb. <laughs> I was leaning into the mic. So I really want to know for people to more know like that. dumber school. Yeah, that's actually really. You can I use like that. that if you want to write a screenplay with me. <laughs> I, get I, Mark Harmon. Yeah, um, it was uh, for privileged kids such as myself. Uh, it was like acting and mm. like for nerds mm-hmm. and. Uh, acting for nerds and (laughs) you could take computer classes and write poetry and do art stuff or just act like you are yeah yeah a pompous asshole (laughs) um or a very confused gawky all right i need somebody to play steve jobs who's steve jobs (laughs) you'll know (laughs) you'll find out soon um uh i remember i asked out a girl or asked her to be like my girlfriend and uh, she was so super cute and super nice. And then, like, a week later, I uh, told her I didn't want her to be my girlfriend anymore. And I what? I tried to move in on this other girl. Oh, no. And she wasn't having it. And then uh, my brain was like, you done fucked up. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember like that was the moment when I was like life doesn't always go the way you want it to and uh And this was a- this was after your uncle had passed away. Yes. Okay. Um and uh I guess back then even uh trying to exert control over life uh mm-hmm. is kind of a theme that mm-hmm. that runs for through my story. Mm-hmm. Uh my incredible journey. <laughs> so I mean, like with Patrick's death must have been like that's the ultimate thing we're all we have no control over. So I mean, do you feel like that sort of uh, that was when the concrete sort of dried for how you that uh, and the fact that um, both of my parents don't aren't aren't religious, mm-hmm. and in fact, uh, my father uh, I still believe is a, a raging atheist. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I was nine or ten, I remember going up to him and asking him what happens when you die. And without blinking, he just goes, that's it. They put dirt on top of you. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, oh, that's the name of your book. They put dirt on top of you, buddy. That has to be the name of your book. They put dirt on top of you. This is something we need to, um, we need more uh, really open-hearted and philosophical atheists to come on the show so we can talk about how you talk to your children about death <laughs> Yeah, without telling them that Santa Claus will take them to heaven or whatever story you know is made up, um, but without scaring the living shit out of them. Yeah, um, I... I I vividly remember that uh, because at th- then I was just like, oh, well, there's so that means there's no God and no one can judge me for mm-hmm. doing anything. And uh, eventually I became very curious about uh, drugs in particular. Mm. And uh, if no one was going to judge me, uh, my consequences didn't matter and I could do whatever I wanted. And uh you have that sense like you know if if the universe if this is how the universe is i mean i could die any second so fuck it was that like a little bit of the philosophy it was, it was that and like i love my dad like i don't want to paint the wrong picture mm-hmm. here um <laughs> and uh be great if you're like my mom's gonna listen to this i'm really worried fuck you dad yeah <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit um he also like i think it was around like 12 uh gave me a bunch of bill hicks like tapes or CDs. And so like all of this came together and you know, it's like Nirvana came out Mm -hmm. and Kurt Cobain was, I think died like around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Hicks died 93, I think, or maybe 94 as well. And so then it's this whole, uh, tortured artist. I need to, I need to feel pain to Mm -hmm. suffer. Mm -hmm. And then like, Oh, Bill Hicks, uh, did mushrooms. And like, I want to try that. And then eventually it was, well, I want to try everything. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that like slippery slope work for you? Like, was it? A it was very slippery. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It wasn't like a slow, like. It was you like know, black ice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right away. Yeah. Shit. Well, I, yeah, I remember uh, starting off with pot and it took me eight times smoking it before I got high. And I was convinced. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the looks, the stairs are, are correct. I was like, this is a vast conspiracy. (laughs) 
everyone is lying to me about getting <laughs> high. And uh, my parents also were very anti-drug. Uh, and basically, the way my brain recollects it was is uh, all drugs are bad. If you do one, you're a bad person. Ah. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you they're interchangeable. Yeah. So if I smoked pot, well, why not try cocaine? Especially mm-hmm. when the pizza place, the, I'm working with a bunch of 30-year-old burnouts who are like, let's give this 15-year-old, let's experiment, let's make him our little... <laughs> That's what I know. wanted to ask next is like, all right, so as it, because I had no, when I was growing up, that was just not something on the docket for me. But even if it were, I wouldn't have known where to go. Mm-hmm. Like, where did, it was literally... A mile pizza. from my house. Oh my God. <laughs> Minnesota, my goodness. Yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Like, I I knew kids that I went to high school with smoked pot, but I did not understand how they got it. Like, who do you even talk to? It was a mysterious process. Yeah. Yeah, you knew kids were doing that. I was like, what, do you... Like we we all go this is, we all go to the same school like yeah is there like one is one of you the guy <laughs> or is it somebody outside the school and then you know how do you approach that person like excuse me friend punch you know that's the end of the conversation because that's how I but that's interesting about the you know if all of them are wrong if I do one I might as well do any of them because I growing up religious I remember having a Sunday school lesson that was all sin is bad so you know a a small sin or a big sin it doesn't really matter and i could not get my head around that so it's like so if i say shit it's just as bad as if i killed somebody yeah and then i was also told that if you think evil thoughts it's just as bad as having done them so i was completely terrified for a long time of like to just do or say or think anything (sighs) yeah and i tried to shut my brain off (laughs) why do you keep thinking brain (laughs) You know, I kind of wish you said, uh, what was it about if Santa Claus like took you to heaven? I was thinking, I've been thinking about that while you guys have been talking. Like, that would actually be horribly terrifying. Because then then Christmas would be like, oh, yeah, he's going to come and leave you some toys and take your soul. <laughs> oh, God, that's worse than Krampus. Yeah. Um, you also said the idea of control is a recurring theme. So was the, that I assume was part of it when you were getting into drugs. Like if, you know kind of without the framework of religion and not being learning maybe um some kind of alternate ethical guidelines yes um it, it seems like there are a lot of ways to try to control your environment and drugs is certainly one of them was that part of it for you i think it's it's there's dual duality in this i think there's definitely the fact that i control how much i'm doing mm-hmm. and i control the fact that i'm doing it and rebelling against my parents and then there's also, I'm a very high-strung kid. I'm still a very high-strung person. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you do that and you lose control. You don't have to worry about that. Oh, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's both of those mm-hmm. at the same time. No, I, d- I definitely understand the, uh, you know, you get you, part of, you're, you, are, you are manufacturing the time within which you are losing control. So it's like a safe space and it almost becomes something you have to do. Mm. In order to feel like, well, I've I've had that part of my day now where I did that. Um, was it like? Did it turn into a daily thing? Was it? And what? And by the way, uh, let's get a little specific, if you don't mind. Like, uh, was it just coke? Was it? Did it turn into other things? Well, I th- I think you might have heard the mushroom story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, where I took mushrooms for the first time, and uh, I was at I was sixteen, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or no, 17. I was in uh, senior year at this point. And I was at a party with the, the cool kids, quote unquote. Nice. And uh, the Mushroom Man was coming to town. <laughs> the Mushroom Man, the Mushroom Man. And uh, he came and everybody else was everybody else was splitting bags. And I wanted to be Mr. Showboat and show them everything, how cool I was. So I took an entire eighth, which is a lot for yeah. anyone. Who yeah. hasn't done it? Um, Especially for your first time. First time, and uh, one of the kids uh, came up to me and was like, "You obviously have no idea what you're doing." So just so you know, like, if anything goes wrong tonight, or, don't worry. It's just a bad trip. And then I end up getting in my car, uh, playing the Grateful Dead, start driving to the pizza place. <laughs> Awesome. Because why not? The irony. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> full circle. 
um, to go back and play pizza. Judge Dread pinball and touchscreen. Oh, that's pretty rad. And in my mind, make a pizza and have <laughs> steal some beers out of the fridge. Um, so I start driving, and then the next thing I know, I wake up uh, in an intersection with my uh, car up on a ramp and uh, surrounded by police. Oh, wow. But the first thing I hear when I come to in my mind is that, that, that kid at the party saying, if anything goes bad tonight or wrong, don't worry. It's a bad trip and none of it's real. Um, Oof. And then, so. Thanks, Inception. Yeah. Um, I'm, he was trying to be so nice. Yeah, that's the, it was really. <laughs> but then you come to, no matter what you're going to come to, it's like, this isn't real. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, also, like, I blacked out, which is really uh, weird. Was it from impact or it was just like you blacked out and that's why there was an impact? Do you, did, was there? I, I, it's, it's really scary for me. Um, I remember getting in my car, starting the engine, playing the music. And then the next thing I know, I remember waking up. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I can't remember to this day was, was my foot on the brake mm. or did I have the car in park? Right. And... Uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. something I'm all. I'll always be scratching that itch. Yeah. That that is an anxiety pill right there. Yeah, um, it's a great story that I'll go into more detail uh, in my book, or if you see me live, I tell mm-hmm. that story. Um, but I think let's see. Before that, um, I had tried. I tried pot when I was 15, mm-hmm. and after the the ninth time, it worked like a charm. <laughs> Lucky nine. And lucky nine. <laughs> uh, and uh, after that, it went from I would smoke once a month to within like three months, I had a dugout and I was smoking before school every day and parking in the teacher's parking lot and like smoking openly, just like trying to get caught. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave wow. a shit. And I remember the first time I had I bought cocaine. I had done it before um but i brought i they sold me a line which is like <laughs> that doesn't ever happen how do you you yeah. can't it's like a lucy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cocaine equivalent of a lucy <laughs> oh my goodness that's pretty great that is um i still remember what happened was i put it on a cd case uh and wait I put a it minute out. what cd <laughs> let's hear uh, I, I guarantee it was a Pink Floyd. Oh, all right, all right. I was, I was like, going to be Con Can or like, you know. <laughs> Hello. It would only be Con Can I if love it were you. Come on, the Joyride. Because that would have been the best. Um, it would have been <laughs> in retrospect. Little on the nose is all I'm saying with the Pink Floyd, Sam. <laughs> Little on the nose with oh, the on the nose show. What? God, check out our new podcast, <laughs> On the Nose. Drug stories. So I put, I get it lined up, and then I somehow like flinched, and oh. like I saw somebody coming, or I thought, and I, fl- and I spilled it, and it had been raining that morning, and so it landed on the floor and oh. just like dissolved oh. into the floor mat, and this was before I was a hardcore drug addict because I had the the thought pass through my mind, do I try sucking on the floor mat uh-huh. to get some sort of high out of this? And uh, I was like, no, that's insane. <laughs> Not Cut yet, buddy. <laughs> Ten years later when I'm like in my apartment in Minnesota, like looking at the floor for like three hours trying to find a piece of crack rock. Mm. Um, yeah. How quick was it from, you know, uh, failed bump in the car to that? Um, I remember going to – so after the mushroom incident, I had to go – uh, both my parents are lawyers that don't practice. What? Um, yeah. How? What do they? They just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a hanging out lawyer. Exactly. Um, my mom uh, was an editor for a uh, legal dictionary. What? West Publishing was was the name of it, and then my dad uh, was the head clerk at the Minnesota Supreme Court, and then he also taught law. And then he also edited and wrote, or no, he wrote articles uh, for West Publishing and other uh, interesting uh, legal thesaurus, maybe or yeah. <laughs> That's re- I know that doesn't seem interesting, but that seems really interesting to me because yeah. my mom was a diner waitress. My dad's like you know worked restaurant gigs, and we didn't know anybody who had jobs like that. That's like it's kind of cool. Well, it's really interesting. Like I've talked to you know I'm in the middle of three boys, and I've talked to my brothers about. Uh, if our parents had like we had a great uh upper middle class 
uh, lifestyle. Um, we didn't go for want for pretty much anything. Um, but if they'd been lawyers, mm. they would have really, yeah, yeah, had the cake. Interesting. Um, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, because uh, they gave me too much as is I think, <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. But um, so I ended up. I got a uh, this super attorney because uh, my parents would just hang out and then there are ones that fly through the sky. <laughs> and he uh, told me that I should go voluntarily into uh, outpatient rehab. And so I ha- and then uh, I did that for two months while I was in high school. And I had like somebody, a friend would drop off work from high school homework and stuff and I so I had to do that while attending this outpatient program and your folks knew about that yeah or, no okay. did they so it's like you go during the day and then go home at night exactly like that's what I mean yeah, I didn't yeah. know if it was like yeah I know school was great <laughs> no was yeah good. they definitely knew about that okay um and so before that happened like I missed my my senior prom uh and then one other like big senior thing uh, but before that, I remember there was a day where it was like we went to a, a bowling alley, mm-hmm. which was like three miles from my house. And I had brought uh, a lot of cocaine. <laughs> I had smoked like two blunts in the morning. Coke bowling. And then I crushed and snorted uh, a thing of ecstasy beforehand. Holy fuck. And then I brought another one there. And. I kept being like going up to every other senior and being like, who wants to party? And they're like, we're bowling right now (laughs) in the middle of the day. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it like, can't you feel the ball? It's bowling. You don't get it. Get into it, bro. And so like I would go to the bathroom every 15 minutes and just like snort whatever. And uh, so, I mean, it, it went from smoking pot to doing cocaine to doing uh, cocaine and ecstasy in the bathroom senior year. So what was bowling. happening? Um, what was happening with your depression at this time? Were you kind of consistently medicating so you didn't have to deal with it, or f- yeah? Feel did you it, feel like you... you were feeling it? Um, I, I still was like my parents took me to psychiatrists. So I think like I think from the age of thirteen is when I started taking Prozac, uh-huh. and I took that for like five years. Um, and so, uh, I have no idea how those all interacted, mm-hmm. uh, in my head. Right. Um, but I was definitely, I didn't like myself. I had terrible self image. Uh, I didn't think I was a, a, a person worthy of love or mm. friendship and, uh, thought I was really ugly. Uh, I didn't have my first kiss until I was like 18 or 19. I was just very awkward. Um, and, and choosy. Once again, mm-hmm. control. Like I could have like made out with a number of girls, and I was like, no, they have to meet X, Y, and Z. Like it, like it's way above like yeah. Seinfeldian standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, well, I mean, like when were, were your so during this whole period? I mean, it sounds like your parents were. You know, if they knew about it, it sounds like they're fairly supportive, right? About, yes. Of the getting back under control. I mean, um, what was that like when you're trying to discuss that? Like I, like as a compare and contrast, like I, I was a total straight arrow till I was like 23 or 24. I didn't, didn't even really have a beer. Um, just wasn't something I wanted cause everybody in my family seemed to have, you know, was drunk for a long stretch or whatever. But one day when I came back from college, my mom accused me because I was I went to the bathroom. I had a nosebleed. She like absolutely 100 percent believed I had been doing cocaine for like the last four years. And it's just like if you knew me at the time, I mean, check out my old headshots. I mean, that is not a guy who did cocaine at all. And she was like, you know, it was a, he probably does magic pour. <laughs> yeah, just kept pushing it, pushing it. I was like, I'm not. I don't. How could you possibly? And we we actually got into a huge fight over this, and it was a rift. It was like, you, how do you not know me so well that you would think this? Your folks seem to have. Like, even if they didn't know you, did they did they take the, you know, you know what? It's just you're in a stupid human suit. We're here for you. Or was it Sam? That's fucked up. But we're going to be here for you. They've always been extremely supportive. And uh, I learned um, being honest with them when I got caught Mm -hmm. was very helpful. Mm -hmm. But I was still very duplicitous and uh, they didn't know 
not even like the half. They didn't yeah. know the 70, 90 percent of what I was doing. Um, and I was very good at uh, having uh, just dissembling. Yeah. And having, you know, a, a face that I put on for yeah. my parents, a face that I put on for my friends. And then I would take my skin off. Yeah. Uh, with the drugs. Yeah. 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 Oh. How has uh, that this the idea of communicating with the people who love you changed over the years because <clears throat> not that I, i've experienced anything like this but like i've always been kind of a bad communicator with my family like I, you know <laughs> shut up um <laughs> you know we we get along really well super loving family but i don't like to spill my guts about what's in my head and what i'm going through and uh you know so in worst case scenarios, like I was in a five year abusive relationship and never let anybody know about it. When it ended, I finally communicated with them. But, you know, I, I think back to all the times where I could have been honest about what I was struggling with and I didn't. Has Now that you're in recovery and you've been through so much, do you feel like the way you communicate with the people who love you has changed and is it more positive and effective now? Definitely. Um, uh, as both of you know, I attempted suicide in May. Mm-hmm. And as I love to tell on stage, spoiler alert. <laughs> well, we didn't mean to bury the lead here, but that is that is going to be the main. I know we're like 20 in, but this is the main topic of conversation. So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm uh, happy to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I, what, what the biggest shift for me came when I ran into this I ran into the street. I uh, ran into a friend uh, who's really good at photography, who's a mutual friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd left a meeting, uh, or excuse me, I should be a little more clothes guarded with uh, my recovery process. Mm -hmm. Um, I left uh, something regarding uh, recovery. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was after I I attempted suicide in May and then I was in a psych ward for 12 days afterward and then I was in outpatient for six weeks afterwards and in the outpatient that's when I started going back to my recovery program and the stuff that I learned there uh, about communicating uh, absolutely changed my life Mm. and uh, the person I ran into uh, asked like what I where I'd gone because I'm pretty active on social media mm-hmm. and so when I disappeared for two weeks it raised some eyebrows with uh, people yeah. who know me pretty well and I tried to tap dance around what happened with the suicide attempt and then finally I just I told her and it felt so liberating it felt so good mm-hmm. and that night I went home and I published an essay about it and uh, it that that was just kind of the point of no return for me in the sense that I I try and be 100% honest and uh, open with people and uh, so including my family yeah. mm-hmm. so if there's a, a frustration I express it um, and that's been very I've had to learn this behavior over the past let's say like five months or no three months mm. Well, I think the fear of communicating goes both ways too. Like there's that you don't want to feel like you're burdening people. Yeah, like if someone yeah. says, Hey, how are you doing? Well, here's, you know, 10 minutes of what's happened with me. Um, but that. also it's like half my um, act at this point. That, is that, that is how a really good bit? bit. Thank yeah. you. Um, but the, on the other side of it is I think um, people often genuinely do want to know what you're going through. They do want to acknowledge it, but they're afraid that they'll say something wrong or they'll, I know, you know that's what we were thinking. Cause yeah. you know, if for the, if you don't know, like Sam, Sam is a, I'm like an old friend by now. I think yeah. you're, you're like an old friend. It's, it's hard to categorize. Cause when I think of old friends, it's like college, but it's enough time has passed. You are now old. Sam's come to a few of our Thanksgivings. Like we've, uh, we did shows in Minnesota with Liz Winstead. Uh, he's just been like a part of our lives and mm-hmm. us his for a while now. And uh, when he did vanish from social media, we Carol and I talked about it quite a bit. Like, what do we do? Do we I mean, who do we talk to? And like, does anybody know anything? And um, I think we heard, you know, we asked John mm-hmm. uh, if he'd heard anything. He didn't quite. He didn't. It was very vague. So uh, we were we were very aware when you vanished and we were very concerned. But very specifically to this topic we did not know what to say 
And if we hit a bad patch ourselves, like over a period of a few days, we're like, I I don't even have the emotional bandwidth to reach Mm -hmm. out to this person. And what a shitty person I am. That makes you feel worse. But then you're like, I need to reach out to this person. But it's like a cycle of putting it off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you, who would you tell somebody who, whether it's you specifically or they just, they have a friend who's struggling and they want to reach out and they don't know how. Yeah. How would you tell somebody to break that cycle in their head of not reaching out? That is a very hard thing Mm -hmm. to uh, communicate to someone else. Um, I've had people, a lot of people on the internet uh, email me or send me messages on Twitter asking that question. Mm -hmm. And um, my best advice is have, have faith in your family or your, your good friends um, and, and tell them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously if somebody's in, um, if you're in immediate danger, like call the suicide hotline, I've done that a number of times. Um, but I've, I've, I've reached, the weird thing for me is that I had reached out before. Uh, I'd written a suicide note one time mm-hmm. and ended up calling a friend. And that was your, the first essay you wrote about suicide. Yeah. You described that moment. Yeah. And uh, he talked me down and I thought it through and I was like, oh, I would, a lot of negative things would affect other people. And also I wouldn't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I still have some shit that I'd like to do. Um, but it's, you, for me, it's, it's, you have to have that, that leap of faith where you just say, even if, if they're going to turn on me or it doesn't work out the way that I want it to or expect it to, um, you just, you have to have some sort of faith, uh, that if you put it out there, like you said, you're never sure how people are going to respond or how you Mm -hmm. should respond. But if somebody reached out to me, um, I would definitely just start at the beginning and be like, well, you're a human being and you inherently have value. Yeah. And then I'm, you're reaching out to me, which means you trust me enough to, to, tell me something this intimate um and so and then it's also just being honest with yourself it, that's 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 probably the hardest part mm. is saying you know i need help and that's that's a recurring theme for i think all of humanity yeah we're all really terrified of seeming weak to yes. other people well that's a you know like you're saying um you know to feel the to know that you need to ask somebody for help you did like for you was there like a sense finally at the very like at some point did did you feel like just a tiny uptick in self-worth or self-value where i was like i I must be worth something so i should i am a human being like you're saying i should reach out or was it just was it just instinctual is it in your gut is your brain what is it for for when for just reach when you decide like you know i gotta reach out to somebody as opposed to just you know sinking further and further and further and i mean it's for me, it's in my head. It's just, you have to be proactive and like literally, well, not, but fight against the, the, the thoughts in your head, uh, that are saying all these negative things. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, I have a, a, another question I want to ask about this, but just, a, a while we're on the topic, um, if, uh, you're dealing with feelings of suicide, please reach out to the national suicide prevention line. Their number is 1-800-273-8255 and they yeah. are there to help you. Uh, can I just one oh, other sure, thing yeah. I want to say was uh, you were talking about like uh, people want to feel like they're you know nobody wants to put themselves out there because it might make them seem weak mm-hmm. and you know depending on where you grew up uh, there's in many neighborhoods there's sort of a you know f- life's fucking tough you know if you try and fucking kill yourself fuck you you weak pussy like that mm-hmm. just there's that a really meathead mentality about suicide in this country yes. suicide prevention that you are you know we talked with mike brown about this topic too and just about the the feelings that lead up to attempts or even just getting close it's it's not it you know it's not a logical thing like depression whether you believe it's 100 percent just chemical or a combination of uh nature nurture uh and chemical uh it's it's it just is and it doesn't matter why you think it's there. It just it's a it's a fact of life that there yes. is a certain percentage of people who just feel these feelings and you either have to treat them as if they are valid 
or you are ignoring somebody's, you know, like the uh, classic cry for help or the actual attempt, you are ignoring that person in their literally the greatest time of need. Well, you're being inhumane about something that you simply haven't experienced. Right. So, but can we talk about that for a second? Mm-hmm. Because like where I'm from, that is certainly the, you know, I'm from Framingham, Massachusetts. I, I grew, you know, I told you where I, how I grew up. Those, the like, I'm sure if I'd spoken to parents about that or something, I might have gotten a a little more of a, a you know it might be more nurturing than I would think but yeah, I'm 100% certain that because of where I was or where I was from if, if that had happened to me it would have been a a very like what's wrong with that guy yeah, yeah. fuck you like it's it's very disdainful there's a disdain I feel I think for a lot of people who have who've gone through what you're going through can we like where does that come from well you know I personally haven't had to deal with it that much. And like the, the circle of friends that I do have, mm-hmm. including like you guys, uh, and then my other close friends, mm-hmm. um, it was really fascinating for me how much they, it was the complete opposite. Um, but I mean, where does that come from? That comes from a place of ignorance. Mm-hmm. That's that you obviously haven't had to deal with it. And you might, you most likely have someone or many people in your life who are dealing with it but haven't broached the subject with you i mean i think i i have to believe it comes from a place of i can't understand it yeah and but also i mean there's also with the culture the machismo Mm -hmm. and uh just the the john wayne yeah tony soprano very much yeah it's like an outgrowth of the the general stigma about mental illness or or admitting any sort of problems whatsoever like you know everybody in that sort of patriarchal attitude of you know men are strong and they don't say how they're feeling like we're we still kind of deal with that you can wrap your head around a broken leg because you can see it and you know there's a solution you know, it's mm-hmm. a solution-oriented injury that's you put it on a cast, and in however many weeks, that's true. You'll that's be able part of it because, like, I don't even know how to fix that. Therefore, it must not be a problem. Yeah, there's is there a pill yeah. for your depression? Oh, there sort of is. I mean, it helps you long-term dealing. Maybe you can get on Wellbutrin or whatever you're going to do, but it's not the solution. It's because you get into this murky territory of like spiritual crisis. I yes. don't know. You know, that's a catch-all word, but there's no other like whatever. Whatever biochemistry that can, you know, uh, that happens to create this uh, appreciation or, you know, tangential touching upon the numinous, you know, that's, I think, where uh, it gets really tricky for people because you can't say, you know, you, you're depressed. Well, there's this program, and at the end of the 12-week program, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like... And there's there's no cast for for my broken soul, <laughs> I can, or maybe I should walk around with a lampshade like a dog. That is the name of your new album. <laughs> there's no cast for my broken soul. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to get to is um, in like you have these two really, you know, intense essays on Medium that are about suicide, including the most recent attempt. Um, one of the things that stood out to me um, was this sort of non-committal planning that it seemed like it was an ongoing part yes. of this process, sort of stockpiling pills for this rainy day when you might feel this way. Um, and I was curious, um, like, is that is that still a part of your life? Have you kind of put aside that part of you that plans for you know, that day when you might feel like that again? Yeah, I've definitely... Um... Well, part of it is I was lying to the psychiatrist that I was seeing at the at the time um, was kind of uh, I would just go and I would dictate the terms, yeah. which was, uh, you know, as a addict, that's great. It's <laughs> a one stop shop. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, I need 12 am. I could literally 12 ambient 15 <sighs> and oh, uh, I lost my Klonopin. Yeah. So I need. Whoops, I mean, I one time I got a whole extra bottle, and so I was taking four or five at a day, and I've worked it down to uh, a lot less than that now. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, like the psychiatrist that I see is also my therapist, and I don't, I just don't have access. Mm. Uh, like I have, I have to go. I get it once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also the fact that I don't recommend killing yourself in order to learn that you really want to live. <laughs> uh, but that's what happened right. for me is that, you know, I, I took 
a lot of pills. And when I went to the, I woke up after six hours of taking them and uh, the doctors told me that I, I should have died. Um, and so there's there's just something that I can't argue with there yeah. that goes, and you know, especially in the in the psych ward, it's like, you know, I I don't believe in God. How could, uh, this is how I was raised, and then I became in, I just wasn't sure. I was agnostic over the past couple of years, and um, I don't want to say I subscribe to any particular religion, but. There's no question that there was a higher power involved with me sticking around and saying, you know, you're you're not done here. You have you have a, a purpose in life. And is that something that really echoes with you now? Like you think about that a lot? Or? I definitely think about that a lot. Um, and then I should also say though that like I still think about suicide mm-hmm. uh, on occasion. Uh, you know, as uh, an abstract or like, you know, I don't know, planning. It's, a, it's a lot more uh, as an abstract. Um, I've had maybe two days where I've actually th- started to put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm once again going back to my family. When I was in the ward, uh, my brother's wife's sister, uh, Brenna, she, uh, when I was in the ward, she had an assignment for all my family members and uh, her uh, immediate family, which was they all wrote letters to me saying how much I meant to them and what it would mean to them if I wasn't around. Wow. And so I have, uh, I think it's like 18 letters. God. And uh, that's really intense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I try and read one once a week just as a reminder. Were they emailed or were they physical letters? They were, yeah, and they were handwritten. Okay. Oh. Yeah, that that's, is. That's. Uh, I feel like this is going to be a terrible thing to say, but that's almost like we imagine sometimes. Oh, what will people say about me at my funeral? It's almost like having yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, no, it really very much is like that. And so, um, when I die, hopefully a long time from now, uh, I'm going to have some great speeches. <laughs> <laughs> I've surrounded myself with great people. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is. Um, You've obviously we've been talking about the essays you've written. Um, you've been very open online about struggles with alcohol and addiction and depression and suicide. And um, I wanted to ask, like, what are what's the best and worst thing that's come out of kind of being that open and honest about these things uh, in the online world, especially? Um, I'll start with the worst, uh, and then work uh, my way towards the the sunshine. Um, <laughs> I did get uh, two emails uh, from people who told me uh, that I should attempt suicide again in very graphic terms. Um, These trolls, people you know? No one I knew. Okay. Um, but uh, very, very vile. Yeah. Um, but uh, I deleted them. Uh, I, I think they were, I tried to figure out, they were like, Accounts that weren't nor- normal accounts, like mm-hmm. I couldn't trace it back to mm. who it was. Yeah, um, and so I deleted them and uh, told myself that if it happened again, I would I would contact the police or whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's only happened twice, and I've talked about suicide uh, over the past year uh, with uh, online yeah. um, in, in writing. And then, um, with my addictions, I've had, I've been struggling with that. Uh, and then talking about it openly for probably three or four years, I mm-hmm. feel like. And in all that time, like that, I have those two instances yeah. are really the only negative blowback that I've had. Oh, that's right. I wanted to ask if you'd like had cyberbullying or anything like that happen. No, and that's something I was, I still am very surprised about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the best thing that's happened, and I've only been, I've shared this once before, um, is that I've had uh, four different people reach out to me the day after I published uh, both the essay about the suicide note and then about the suicide attempt. Uh, the very next day, I had uh, two people reach out and say that they were going to uh, attempt suicide that night, but they stumbled upon the essays, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And then one of them was a teenager in Arizona and uh, sent me this 
great email that just said he was like you were so open and honest i told my parents everything oh, wow. and uh i've stayed in touch with him and he's seen a therapist That's great and just seems like he really like his life is like turned around uh very quickly um and it, it was it was something uh i you know i don't want to i certainly don't want to go on twitter or facebook and be like oh look at what i did yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um because it's still, it's really hard for me to believe that my words could have that much of an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do believe, you know, that by by bringing this up and being brutally honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, that's the thing. Very, very few people do. People feel embarrassed or weak, like we said. Yeah. Well, you feel like you're one of, you're not, it feels like you're the only person dealing with it. And then th- that leads to shame and secrecy and, and just, so having it normalized yeah. and know that the world won't end if you admit that you're dealing with this is huge. And yeah. That's so nice to hear. And then on top of that, I mean, so that was the absolute best. And then I, I got so I, I still get emails and messages on Twitter from people that will check in with me that will say thank you for writing this. Yeah. I shared it with a, a family member about mm-hmm. addiction or about the the pr- depression and so it's just it's it's amazing what you can get back when you put it all yeah. out there. And um you're uh you were doing I, I don't know if you're done yet or not. You're doing 90 meetings in 90 days is that the that is correct. Are you allowed to talk about that, or uh, I can not specific. So you can just say like meetings. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm. Uh, it's a recovery goal, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm getting very close to that. And I have a lot of uh, sober time stacked up right now. Yeah. I I won't get into number. I stopped sure. getting into numbers, uh, just because if I happen to fall off, you'll dwell. Yeah, and yeah. so. Uh, but I'm I'm very very satisfied with myself and for my recovery I'm I'm hitting all the points that I need to hit mm-hmm. on That's a great daily buddy. basis. I'm so happy. You yeah, I'm that. really Thank proud you. of you, man. I'm glad you're here on the show and I'm glad you're just here. Thank you. Yeah. So am I. You're a wonderful person and mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, why don't we do? Um, uh, why don't we take this to uh, get a couple of the uh, segments in mm-hmm. and then we'll uh, we'll return. But uh, yeah. Um, why don't we do? Uh, let, let's let's start on an uptick with uh, well, sort of fun uptick, a little bit of a downtick. But uh, this week in falling apart. Oh yeah! All right, this is this week in falling apart. Um, so this is super fun. Awesome. Uh, this is uh, so I'm uh, I like actually the last time uh, we did a podcast I was 41. I'm now 42. Oh, that's right. It doesn't matter for you listeners. All of the podcasts I will be 42 <laughs> when you hear them. Um, I'm 42. I uh, own it. T- turned it. Own it, girl. On October 14th. Um, so. Uh, Can we delete that from you? <laughs> Sean's 39. He's going to be 40. So, something we spend a lot of time talking about is just how our bodies you know, like yeah. are beginning to not work properly. Yes. Um, so Sean, would you like to, to kick this off? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've, I've already talked about, you know, my heels and my back and everything, you know, five mm-hmm. episodes in. But uh, something I saw that uh, we, we saw it, uh, yesterday, I believe, um, and it's sort of it's related to this, but it's it's hopeful. We saw these uh, these two blind women with two seeing eye dogs on Sixth uh, Avenue and the dogs. There was some construction and the dogs didn't know how to. Can I stop you for a second? I think you're telling the wrong story. This is how your body's falling apart, not what made you feel good. No, no, I know. Oh, okay. Well, no, right, the, edit that out. <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were telling the wrong uh, story. No, no, let's leave, let's leave in that critique so everybody can see what I deal with at home oh. every day. Sad bear. Oh, hey, I was wondering, uh, you know, when you're peeing, if the stream could be a little straighter. <laughs> is that cool? Okay, thank you, baby. I'm just trying to make you be a better you. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, why don't you start that over? Okay. Uh, no, no, we're keeping all that. <laughs> uh, my, we saw these two ladies, uh, like probably fifties, um, two seeing eye dogs and the dogs were having, um, trouble with, uh, the construction around it them. It was one seeing eye dog for each lady. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, just want to make sure one wasn't oh, yeah, yeah. down. <laughs> That's that. Don't, don't stint on that. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, the dogs didn't know like how to get across. There was all this like police tape and other stuff. And, uh, we had just been, we had just come out of the store and I had to do like, this is 
why I'm telling this is mm-hmm. I had to do like 10 minutes of stretches um, just for my stupid ankles. I have to like, I have to constantly be stretching my calves, my ankles, my hips. Just I've had tendonitis. Should It should have been fine by now, but it's been like, it's been two straight years. So I, we're in the store right next to an escalator and I'm like, I've got my leg on a banister like a ballerina and I'm stretching and stretching and stretching. I'm like in a foul, foul mood. Uh, so that's how my body was falling apart this week, Carol. But I wanted to end it on a nice note. Uh-huh. So these two blind ladies were having trouble getting across the street. We stood there and we were just watching them. And we were like, we're doing that thing. It was like, do, uh, do we go help? How do you like bring yeah. that up in mm-hmm. conversation? And people swarmed over to them. Yeah. Because their bodies have like clearly fallen apart either from day one. They like probably if it's you know, uh, degradation, it's only going to get worse for them. But there was this really like, even as your bodies fall apart, there is help out there. These like three people went over to the one lady, another two or three people went over to another lady. And then a lady walked by us watching them. And she was complaining that not enough people (laughs) went to go help them. There's the New York part. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's like three people per blind lady, got them across the street, kept walking with them. Like that was that's okay if this is like how if this is how it's going to be with you know my legs mm-hmm. if they get worse if that's okay because there's going to be somebody here in this city who will like carry me on a chariot to wherever I need to go oh, and then nice. somebody who will probably be like why does that guy get a chariot <laughs> you piece of shit I just like the the woman she'll be like that's not enough chariot carriers yeah. Yeah, yeah. this city Random can you six. believe it yeah. <laughs> used to be 10 in my day at least 10 um, well, uh, so the way my body is falling apart, um, I stare at a computer all day. Um, well, yeah, pretty much all day. And, uh, I, I keep thinking that I'm spontaneously going blind, mm. um, be, because I don't know. Have you ever had that thing where you're, you're just looking at something for so long and then things stop moving and it gets a little bit blurry and then you like try to blink and you look around and nothing happens for a minute. Um, you, you know that thing. Uh, I, yeah, I just I keep feeling like my eyes are like seconds away from mm. going away, and then I will need a dog. You will need a dog. Um, and three men. But it's ha- it happens more often now because I think just the repetitive nature of I mean, being in front of a computer. I've never time. I've never had that. Yeah, it's. I'm a, looking forward to not. It's a little scary. I have seen crappy that. eyes you're, anyway, so they're they're going down. Well, Sam, you're working on a book, so you're gonna be. You're going to have to take those. They tell you to do those eye exercises. Has anybody told you that? No. Yeah, like every 15 minutes you look away and you focus on something far uh, to give your eye, the muscles that focus your your pupils, your what are, I don't lenses, to the some exercise. Like, oh, look, I can read that from five feet away. Back to the book. I never would have thought of that. That's, that's, yeah, so that's solid advice. Definitely try that out. Carol, don't try it out. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sam, how is your body falling apart? Um, my, uh, toes have started hurting in the last month and it's nothing like, you know, I, I've stubbed them over mm-hmm. my, over the years. Um, they just hurt. Like and, ache, dull throbbing ache, sharp yeah. pain. Okay. Dull ache. And, uh, and I have health insurance right now and I definitely feel like, uh, I know my body well enough where if it was something I needed to get checked out, I would, mm-hmm. Yeah. but, uh, they just, they hurt. And uh, those are the the annoying things because it's like something's hurts. wrong. It, it wasn't there before. Yep. But I can't go to the doctor and say my toe hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but it hurts. I'll what, recommend what's going you on? to a toe specialist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. A piggy specialist. <laughs> That'd be the worst if you were a toe doctor. Don't call me piggy. Don't don't call me piggy. They're called podiatrists. I know. I've had to go see a lot. I know. <laughs> Um, this little piggy went numb. <laughs> this little piggy couldn't go to the grocery store. This one's coming off. It's uh, <laughs> totally messed up. Uh, should we do uh, famous movie deaths? Sure. Yeah. Do you I like do? famous movie deaths. Right? You, you like movies. I do. You yeah. like characters? I love characters. <laughs> well, this is perfect because this is famous, famous movie, movie deaths. deaths. Um, so, yeah, Sean, what uh, do you have a, a special one? that? Well, uh, yeah, I want to talk about two. We just saw Your Next. Have you seen that, Sam? I have not. It's well, like really we fun. kept getting it. People kept recommending it, and we we're like, eh, "I'm sure it's fine." It's 
really fun. It's re- it's way better than it has any business being. It's like a home invasion movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. But the, so everybody gets trapped in this house and like spo- a quick, easy spoiler alert, but not really. If you watch the movie, you'll be like, oh yeah, she's totally gonna die. Um, like they just, she might as well have been wearing a red shirt. Like, oh yeah. You know she was this, the daughter who's like. Like the, the they kept making like passive aggressive weight comments about her, and she's just this fragile creature who wants her parents' approval and like wants it so badly that once the, you know the attack has started and they're all huddled in this foyer, she's like, "I can make it to the car. It's twenty yards away. I'm fast enough, mom and dad." And you're like, "Okay." And they do this beautiful build up with the slow motion, and she's like, she takes her shoes off, she stretches, and they like time it out. It's like, "You're gonna run, and I'm gonna open the door, and you're gonna make it. We're not even gonna leave the door." open long enough we're not going to open it and then you run you're going to run open close and, and so the whole the, time you're just like uh, what are they going to do what is yeah. <laughs> and you're sort of expecting like you know a, a, a thunderbolt like yeah something. right into her face but she's the slow motion run they open the door and just clothesline razor wire her throat slashed open oh. it was like re- a really satisfying <laughs> horrifying so death because you're like yeah, you even even just in the death you know you took it in a different direction than we were all expecting good for you horror movie <laughs> so that was that was a good one uh sam do you have uh, one that jumps out at you uh not the actual death mm-hmm. but uh the big lebowski when when donnie dies oh, and uh he's cremated uh that's something when i think about movie and death uh, that's the first thing that pops into my mind. Yeah, it's so matter of fact the yeah. way it happens. And and uh, you know he it's a not the biggest part in the world, but mm-hmm. I still remember being moved by that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just, oh, not Donnie. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Oh, life's not fair. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you, movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, How about you, Carol? The one that uh, still haunts me, and again, a movie I probably saw too at too early of an age was The Hitcher with um, oh, Rutger Hauer and C. Oh Thomas Howell. And poor Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, and they remade this movie, and I think they 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 swapped the genders, which I I enjoy. But in this instance, I didn't because uh, in the original movie, um, Rutger Hauer, in its classic, like she and C. Thomas Howell just fucked. <laughs> he he I, I mean, he takes a shower, goes to sleep or something. He wakes up and she's not there. Oh. And um, they're staying at kind of like a, a motel where a lot of big trucks are. Um, Truck stop, I believe is what they call it. <laughs> uh, and he goes outside, and police are there. Like everybody's already there. And Rutger Hauer has tied her um, like hands and ropes and ankles and ropes between two big rigs, and he's sitting in one with mm. his, his foot on the clutch. Essentially, he's revving it. Yeah. Wow. So it's this awful scene where you know he wants C. Thomas Howell to come in and try to convince him not to do this, and you're like. There's no way. There's no way they're going to yeah, do they this. they can't do this. They fucking do it. It just, like, it, he just lets his foot off the throttle. You hear screams. They don't show you. They don't, okay, that was yeah. my question. But it, it, Sometimes the not seen is worse. It's even yeah. more horrible because I spent, I don't know how many hours, like, did her arms rip off? Like, what? Did it just really rip her <laughs> in half? Like, which part broke you, first? You wrote an essay that <laughs> was great. It's, it's basically about when the human body becomes meat when it stops mm. being a human and when it becomes meat oh, and wow. that it was based on that yeah it, it was just terrifying so i i i spent a lot of time thinking about that i will be thinking about that <laughs> yeah i think everybody's yeah. gonna be thinking about that it's now. a great psychological thriller check it out it's from the 80s all right let's uh let, let why don't we wrap this up with don't worry about it oh that's great yeah uh, yeah i like that let's uh all right we're gonna do uh we got one last segment it's don't worry about it what's what is it why don't you tell the people oh i'll tell the people yeah, what tell don't the people so um yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about darker things and 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 having the sad, awkward conversations that I think people need to have. Yes. Um, but we we like to sort of start to wrap things up on a more hopeful note. So uh, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Is where we say something that we saw or heard or did or learned this week that gave us some hope and made us feel like these stupid human suits aren't so bad after all. Yeah. Um, I will go first because I am furthest to the right yeah. over here. <laughs> going to go in a row. Uh, I We were talking about this before we started here, uh, the podcast today, uh, but uh, Carol and I went to uh, Harlem Shake yesterday. And, you know, it's like a, it's a guilty treat. But um, whenever we've gone maybe twice, three times, I can't go to a burger place really without getting a shake um, because, uh, you know, I was like I said earlier, as a couple times, these podcasts I grew up uh, a lot of my growing up was done in the back of a diner that my grandma and my grandpa owned and my mom and my aunt and my uncle all work there and um you know it was like 
the place you went to in Framingham if you were a trucker. Um, speaking of truck stops, you know, if you need to pull a girl apart or if you just wanted some eggs. Very good. You pulled s- pork, pulled yeah. corn, <laughs> you, got, uh, you stopped over at the Foxtrot uh, Donut Shop on uh, uh, on Route 34. Is it 24? But um, uh, I grew up just uh, getting, like, not a shake a day, but like a shake every other day. Uh, and it was pretty... I have a lot of weight issues because of the way I ate when I was young. My mom couldn't afford a babysitter, which I'm getting in the back of a donut shop. I'm not going to, I'm nine years old. I'm not going to get the jelly out of the jelly vat, a big <laughs> handful, and then put my mouth in the nozzle and like take down a huge, like unbelievable, like number of gulps of apple jelly filling. What, what monster wouldn't do that? <laughs> But so when I, after I, you know, after I, if I, when my sweet tooth was satisfied and I wanted to take it over to a more healthful angle, I would ask for a shake. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I'm feeling really, really bad, I need, I, I have a shake. We had a shake yesterday and it brought back a lot of like some of the nice memories of, uh, of being a, just a really disgustingly overweight child in the back of a diner. So yeah, that was nice. Oh, Peanut butter. Sweet. Um, I, uh, uh, saw a tweet yesterday. Um, it was a tweet from the ACC, which we've had some difficulties with, uh, uh like yeah. long story short, we tried to rescue a cat we found that had wonky back legs and, uh, yeah, I yeah, saw um, how this unfolded on Facebook and we, we, we have two dogs and two cats in our small apartment. So we, we really couldn't take her. So we took her to the ACC, which is near our house and, uh, couldn't adopt her, but we, yeah, we could, we but, told them we could take her and find her a home. Yeah. So like there was a lot of back and forth on the phone, emails in person saying, Hey, if you can't place her, we'll take her. Don't yeah. put her down. And, uh, they euthanized her without telling us and it was awful um but so that's not the thing that gave me hope um, yeah what the fuck <laughs> so an animal's dead how about I, you sam <laughs> i started following the acc on twitter because i was communicating with them about this and they yesterday tweeted uh, an adoption notice for a dog that we actually saw in the park because they walk all their dogs in the park and she's this very sweet American pit bull who has a mange problem that she's getting medication for but she's the cutest little love bug and the lady was scratching her belly and all this dog wants is love so the fact that I saw them kind of following up on finding this dog a home and the write up on the dog was so sweet it was clearly written by the lady we saw walking the dog she loved it just kind of like I don't know it just filled me with joy that even you know not everything works out the way it's supposed to, but there's still these little sweet pockets of people trying to to do good things. And do you remember the dog's name by any chance? I don't. Well, we'll come yeah, back. You to, look, I'll look, look it up. Look it up on we'll the phone right now, and we'll we'll pitch that at the end. Sam, uh, anything? I have a a personal one. Uh, I was working at my temp job, and uh, my ATM card had stopped working, oh. and uh, I had no access to money for like two days. Yikes! And uh, uh, a friend of ours, uh, a comedian who was also at the temp job, um, I once again with the asking for help. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. I need to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of important. Um, and so I explained to her. I was like, I don't have money right now. Uh, and she just was like, Take this. Don't worry. Uh, you can pay me back whenever. And uh, there's that. And then this morning. I spent about two hours uh, on Google looking at images of Joe Biden, <laughs> and because uh, I I just started looking just because, and then he start I started noticing he does finger guns a lot, <laughs> like a lot, and then so I fell down this rabbit hole of of him, and then and then him with Barack, and it's you know uh, they have so much fun like they look like they're having so much fun when they're not like killing bin laden or whatever like and like then i've forgot i was like oh that's right they made friendship bracelets and it's like i didn't realize that. yeah i don't know if it was for a buzzfeed video but there it's like joe biden tweeted out he was like a friendship bracelet and he was like happy 50th barack obama uh, I'm so honored to be your friend. And there's a friendship bracelet. I'm what just a, like, this is the coolest class act. Yeah, and so and uh, it's just it it gives me hope. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Uncle Joe that's gives me Uncle Joe. Um, would you like to do our uh, yeah our secular prayer? Uh, uh, so this is uh, our our 
closing it, moment of the show. This is a secular prayer for, you know, um, if you're religious, you're, you're still welcome to uh, say it with us. And if you're not, here's your prayer. Yeah. Our fellow humans who art here and now, hallowed be thy consciousness. Thy kingdom floats. In a universe so vast, it's like totally bananas, man. Therefore, be kind to each other. And don't eat so much bread. Ask forgiveness of your trespasses. And forgive those who trespass against you. Because all of us can be really fucking annoying. For thou art the mind inside thine stupid human suit. The only one of its kind. We are thus also. And that must simply be enough. Amen. Amen. That's it, guys. This Thanks, has been Sam. Stupid Human Suits. Thank you can you. find Sam at, at San Gripner. Uh, keep in touch with him because he's writing a book, uh, you know, touching on all the topics we've talked about today. And I'm sure it's going to be an amazing read. It is. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Thanks. I love you guys. And thanks to our buddy. producer, Megan. Thank you, Megan, Thank for you, listening Megan. to <laughs> just tragedy after tragedy <laughs> after tragedy. I mean, we should get her. Do you want to see a therapist? <laughs> we should get a therapist. She's fine. She's, She's fine. Nodding She's, good. She's fine. She's good. I'm good. Okay, guys. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye, 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 bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Thank you.